0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to On the Job, a series on the roadmap from auto finance news that brings on an executive from the auto finance industry to discuss what they have learned throughout their career and strategies they employ to be a strong leader within their organization. I'm Riley Wolfbauer, and today I'm joined by Vice President of Business Development at Credit Union Leasing of America, Mark Chandler. Mark, thank you for joining me on the podcast today.
1: Thanks, Riley. It's absolutely a pleasure to spend time with you and the whole organization. I, I enjoy Auto Finance News completely. My pleasure. And I, yeah, and I
0: have enjoyed the relationship that we have developed throughout my time here at Auto Finance News. Um, so so let's get started with the first question here. Of To give a little bit of background on yourself and what you love about what you do, how did you get into the auto industry and what has made you stick around for so long?
1: That's a great question. It's funny. I I do know people that knew early on they wanted to be in the auto industry, and I think some of them it's because their father was in it or their mom or, you know, their parents were in the auto industry. I didn't I didn't plan on getting in the auto industry. It kind of happened out of um, well, frankly, initially it was because I could make good money and. I landed at a dealership. I would helped a friend of mine, a couple of friends, uh, get cars at this one dealership. It was uh, a dealership in Orange County. And going through the process, they said, "Gosh, you should think about being a salesperson here." And you know, I, I had a good attitude, and I think the, you know, just the right energy. And so they hired me, and it didn't take long for me to realize that it was a natural fit. So. I did very well for the store. I did well for myself. I was making more money than my friends and family were at the time. And what that led to was uh, other opportunities. Uh, A friend of mine named John G. John Godfrey, he's not with us anymore that I know of. uh, He had a relationship with a local credit union. He was helping them buy cars. And I got a chance to be a part of that. And so we started to assist credit union members by. Like a concierge car buying service allowing them to have a better experience back in the day before indirect lending car dealerships and credit unions were kind of arch enemies the credit unions would get a contract on a monday morning from a dealership that laid a member away and the credit union would try to save it and it was this sort of animosity and the advent of indirect made credit unions and and the auto industry become kind of one there's this cohesiveness now that really Change things, but before that, it wasn't that way. And so there was this this bad feeling of going to a dealership and getting beat up. And so we he created it, but I was a, the initial uh, employee investor. Uh, you know, I was a, a part of this organization called the Sioux Auto Hotline. What we did was help people through this concierge car buying service get into new cars. What kept me in it was I started to fall in love with credit unions I started to fall in love with more with the auto industry and so I was always in this space somewhere between the two trying to keep people together I was trying to have a great service for credit unions and their members bring in quality loans make sure the members are getting taken care of with my partner dealerships get them more volume you know uh, help them move inventory so it was a great relationship and I think what still keeps me in it and and what I'm all about is the relationship so I bet I was in between 10 and 15 weddings as not necessarily the best man, but as a groomsman or something like that, especially in my earlier days of people I met through credit unions and through the auto industry. So to me, it just became kind of part of my nature, my livelihood, my life was it was family and auto industry. So and and I'm loyal to a fault to some degree uh, that auto hotline. I stayed with them. We we eventually Uh, parted ways. And I got involved with a company called Autoland, a car buying service, and stayed there for almost 20 years with the same sort of concept. Uh, We took that organization from a handful of offices to 30 offices and even bigger. And, you know, it was just about that same sort of culture being around all the time and the relationships. And I'm extremely loyal. I I like to stay in one place at the same time as long as I can.
0: Great, and I'm not surprised to learn that you started in sales and did it successfully given your personality. You, you have a personality that fits that. Thank you. I appreciate that. So so given your career experience and all your learnings, what what is a lesson or two that you learned early in your career that you still try to carry to this day?
1: I... I think I could be classified historically as kind of a workaholic. Uh, There's days when you wake up and you're kind of tired, not feeling like you want to work. And for me, it's just get fired up and go. I enjoy it so much. I'm kind of goofy here at the office. When Fridays come around, I walk around pouting like I hate Fridays because I'm going to miss everybody. And they all think I'm a knucklehead, but it's true. I actually enjoy it. So I I never take a breath. I, I never slow down. Um, I'm, you know, I'm in my sixties already and I'm still ready to fire up every day. I don't drink coffee. Can you imagine if I drank coffee? It would be crazy. My poor family. They they disown me. And then the other thing is I don't know everything. So I want to make sure that I come off as someone that's always listening and always trying to learn. Uh shoot, if we did everything the way we always did it, we'd be in big trouble. So it's kind of fun to see the progression of the industry that I've fallen in love with and not just on the auto industry side, but also on the credit union side, it's just getting better and I'm learning more uh every every day. But I think over it all, I think for me the, the the life lesson that I carry on is that attitude is everything. Uh you just have to have a positive attitude. There's no upside of having a negative attitude.
0: Yeah, that's one thing that uh my mom and my sisters that's my mom especially has tried to ingrain that in us, that carrying a positive attitude, you you get what you put back out in the world. If you put a positive attitude, you can get good things coming back your way. So it seems seems kind of that's what you try to carry.
1: I definitely do. I'm a over hugger. I like to hug a lot. I know there was a time where that was probably not the right thing to do. But I had a company say, Mark, you got to stop hugging so much. I go, that's who I am. I, I can't stop that. And I I don't just hug i hug everybody. <laughs> it's not like I'm leaving <laughs> anybody else. So uh, it's just that sort of positive outgoing, strong attitude. Your parents are good parents. I can tell you're a good guy. Uh, and I'm sure your parents and I are probably somehow related, Riley. We've talked about that before. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thanks, Mark. They'd love they'd love to hear that. Yeah. Um, so reflecting on your career, looking back, what would you say has been one of the best moments of your career and how is that something that has informed you throughout the rest of your career? And what, what did you learn from that
1: moment? Uh, you know, I think the best moment was, I mentioned working for Autoland. It was at the time, the largest car buying service It was founded by a guy named Michael Malamut that just has the gift of making money. And the reason why it was successful is because we always focused on the service. That was the value of this organization. It wasn't how much money it made, how many offices it owned, and how many cars it sold. It was the value. That was the that was everything, the service, the service we provided. I ultimately worked my way up uh, to be the president, the leader of that company. And so I would say that was my proudest moment. What I really learned from that was interesting is that the higher you go up, the ladder and ultimately to the top is that you you have to wear your HR hat more. You become more of an HR person because the people that report to you will open up more and more about their needs financially, what's going on in their personal lives. Uh, you know what? What's happening? Uh, you really have to put that HR hat on. And I think that the definition of a good leader and what I learned from that and why I still take with me now is to be a really good listener. One of the things I do when I interview people as I ask them, you know, for a position, how do you define the word trust? And, you know, if you look at the dictionary, it's got its own meaning. But the way I define it is trust is putting someone else's needs in front of your own. And so if you go through kind of your career and even your personal life, and you think about putting the other person's needs in front of your own in every situation, it creates this high level of trust. And when you're dealing as a leader of a company with employees, if you can find a way to put your employees' needs in front of your own, I think that elevates you as a leader. It's easy to be a boss. It's easy to tell people what what to do and just because I have the business card. But it takes a little more effort, I think, to really listen, uh, guide them by uh, examples, and be uh, you know just be that sort of resource for people that are looking for growth and and a pathway for their own uh, what they're looking for out of their career. If you can sort of guide them, it's 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 very successful, very re- rewarding. But I think that that was the best moment of my career, and I think. <laughs> When I think about the things that mean the most to me, and how, another way that I sort of describe uh, define success is, you know, you probably haven't felt this as much, but you have for sure, is that I can remember going home to a beautiful home that I owned, walking in the door, seeing my wife and kids greeting me at the door. I mean, it's touching. That, to me, is is success. So I know i kind of straight off the subject there, but for me, the definition of success personally is when that happens. It's all about family. And then also from a high level executive position, it's super cool when employees that work for you get married, have children, buy houses, even move on in their careers to other places in a more successful role. I, it rejuvenates me. It fires me up when I see people that worked for me or with me be more successful. And also get get the things in life that they're looking for. I think I kind of took that question, blew it up a little bit, Riley.
0: (laughs) Hey, that's all right. You gave good insight into how you kind of try to carry yourself and what what gets your motor going um, as as a leader at your company. Um, So to flip it now, what would you say has been or what would you say is maybe the worst moment in your career Or what is a mistake that you've made in your career? um, And how did you learn from it and become better from it?
1: That's an exceptional question. I was proud of becoming the president of Autoland, but I'm not there anymore. And the reason why I'm not there is because I was, (laughs) it's hard to imagine, I'm, you know, over 6'1", I'm 200 plus pounds, I'm a big guy. And my boss, the chairman of the board, was a petite person that was a bully. And I had a hard time dealing with a bully. And ultimately, there was a decision made. I, I wasn't going to get that person to leave as the chairman of the board. <laughs> so the decision was that I had to depart. So that was kind of a, a tough moment for me, was leaving a company i have been at nearly 20 years as, and and ultimately leaving as a leader. And when I look back, if I would have stayed on with that organization and not allow myself to be bullied, I'm almost embarrassed saying this. I probably would still be there. In hindsight, now I'm glad I'm not there because I've grown so much since that. I had such a, I had like a West Coast relationship, and and uh, you know my presence was West Coast, and now I have a national presence, and so I've really had this chance to expand my horizons. And financially, I'm a better spot. I mean, everything is good since then. But it's one moment that I kind of regret is that. I let this bully force me out. And I since then had another situation where I had a bully as a boss and uh, I knew how to handle him better, handle this bully better. And I, I grew from the original. And the only way from my perspective, if you have a bully as a boss, the only way to win is to bully back. But you have to take the risk that you might be terminated or something, but I'm in a position in my career where I didn't have to worry about that because if I did, I'd bounce somewhere else. But it felt good to go back to a bully and just not allow it to happen. And ultimately, that person left and I'm still here.
0: Great. All right. So shifting gears a little bit, um, you've already given a little bit of insight into this question with your other answers, talking about positivity and trust and um, upward success for your employees. So given all that, like, how do you really aim to lead your team day in and day out?
1: Yeah, that's good. Uh, I mean, definitely with strong energy, uh, it's funny, you know, we're a volume-based organization and in sales, you're, you know, you want to move units or you want to get numbers out. And some of our salespeople are better than others, uh, but they all have sort of the same goal in mind. Uh, some have higher goals than others. Uh, You know, higher higher targets, and ultimately you you sort of grade your sales team on their volume. I have a little different approach to that. Uh, I some of my favorite sales consultants or regional sales managers or just flat out salespeople are the ones, and I judge them on two things. And one of them is attitude for sure. If they got the right attitude, good things are going to happen. But the second one is effort. Uh, It's You know, a lot of people work remotely. It's hard to sort of quantify effort. So you can only quantify based on what they put into Salesforce or how many calls they're making, things like that. But I can sense attitude and effort even remotely over these type of calls, these sort of facing calls and uh, being around them on a regular basis. So and I know pretty quickly if someone's the right choice uh, for our Team, you know, it's funny when we hire someone, we don't really hire someone, we adopt them. Uh, I believe that our culture in this organization is like a giant family. And so when someone lets, lets one person, you know, if someone fails, it kind of lets us all down. And so there's this sort of, it's not, you're not really stressed about it because we patch on the back if you have a month and say, let's get them next time. But really attitude and effort is basically what I use to judge my team. And a lot of that is, you know, salespeople are interesting. The best salespeople are usually the highest maintenance. And I have a couple of folks that are so good, but they just can't understand how good they are. And so I constantly have to remind them, you are so good. I mean, literally, I'll call them once in a while and just say, I want you to know that I see you and that you're really good. And what it gets out of them is a, is a whole nother level of tail wagging and swagger and fired up and it's worth it to me to take the, the time and effort to do that. And I'm not talking about direct reports. I'm talking to maybe two or three layers down. So uh, just letting people know that you see them. And then, again, the, the main thing that, that I like to do is, is never overreact. Stuff happens. You know, volumes go up and down. This is a, a marathon. Even on a marathon, you're going uphill once in a while. We are uh, – it always works out in the long run. You just can't overreact. So hopefully that answers that question i mean i've had employees do stupid stuff you know steal in the past you can't tolerate that so uh where i get so uh, attached to sometimes these sales people have been with me for a long time when i find out they've stolen it it, it hurts it, i like i take it personally so uh i've gotten better at not allowing that to affect me personally but i still do fall in love with everybody that works with and for me
0: And I can tell that's just the nature of your personality. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, obviously, as you just, as you said, in sales, there's always goals for sales numbers and um, what you guys are striving for in the company. When you're managing your teams, how do you ensure that goals are aligned top to bottom, that all teams are on the same page and you're all working towards your same
1: end goal? That's a great question. And and for me, a slightly tough one to answer. I have a vision and I have to make sure my vision aligns with the other executives at the organization. But from a, a, a volume standpoint, I have a vision. It's a big number. I don't want to say what it is today, but it's a big number. Now, the team I have today, we won't hit that number. So what I do is sit them down and tell them, here's my vision. Uh, in order to get there, I'm going to need all of you to perform at certain levels. And a lot of this vision is on my shoulders with the current, you know, we're doing auto leasing here with credit unions to hit the volume that I want to hit before I, you know, retire. I need, we have 40 ish credit unions right now. We need probably 140 of the right credit unions. So I have a lot of work to do and I need better consistency in Florida and Texas, way more consistency in California. So But to get that, I have to sort of start from there, work backward, and build out where the credians need to be to make this happen, what amount of team members have to be there, and where these team members fit into that mix. So I'm kind of painting the picture for them and their sort of segment of that vision, where I need them to get to. And I ask them, Are you in? Do you buy in? And then we talk about where we are in that process headed towards that vision. So I think that the team members we have today on the sales team, Will someday be leaders of the sales team. I think the vision's between five and ten years out from now, and I see, I'm hoping that most of them stay on board. But you know, in sales in general, you have turnover. But the ones that stay on board, I see them running their old sales team at some point, and us hitting this crazy vision. So it's just you know, it, it you have to communicate progress regularly. You have to show where we are in that process. It's almost like a timeline. Uh, and I oftentimes use sort of a football analogy. Let's say my vision's $10 billion in one year. We did $2.7 billion last year, so we're kind of on our own 27-yard line. We're going to do less this year uh, because we have much more competition, but the sort of analogy using football, it helps out for the the vision setting is where we are in that process. So I'm hoping to be where we're on the 10-yard line getting ready to punch it into the end zone sooner than later, but that's sort of the way that I track a vision day in and day out. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, So I appreciate you providing um, insight into your career and a little look back on your career. Uh, But that is all we have time for today. So I appreciate you uh, joining me today, Mark.
1: Man, it's my pleasure, Riley. You are a good guy. I'll do this anytime. You call me tomorrow. We'll do it again. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe, maybe we can revisit change change it up
0: a little bit next time.
1: I'm okay with it. I want to, podcast you talk about your career
0: hey we we can do it all right if you yeah if you want to do it we can do it all right right. and so to our audience members uh thank you for joining us on the roadmap today and we will see you next time and online at autofinancenews.net